Queer Relationships, an IM Clinic podcast devoted to helping you, the LGBTQ community, create the love lives and relationships you crave. One of the most recent cases is, is a woman and she has struggled with developmental trauma with somatic symptomology and a pretty profound panic disorder that was really inhibiting her ability to like live the life she wanted to live and that she knew she was mm-hmm. capable of. Mm-hmm. She had done you know, traditional talk therapy, medication, somatic experiencing, EMDR. She'd mm-hmm. gone to all types of traditional medical model for her somatic pain. Um, we did uh, neurofeedback specifically to offer the info low frequency. Mm-hmm. And it, it was not just immediate, like mm-hmm. immediate relief, but there was this recognition on her part that things were shifting, feeling like she was getting more access to information. Mm-hmm. And with more access to information, she was then able to use her coping skills better. And then that shifted to actually not being as hyper aroused. And so the things that used to trigger her weren't triggering her as frequently with less intensity and better recovery. Welcome to Queer Relationships. I'm Jamie Leach, co-director of I Am Clinic and your host for today's episode. In this episode, we are excited to share with you all about neurofeedback training, what it is, how it works, and how it might just be the answer to some of the things you have been struggling with. Today, you will hear from two people who will tell you about neurofeedback training from both a personal and professional viewpoint. The first is Isaac Artoleta, who you know very well as the primary host of Queer Relationships and is also the founder of I'm Clinic in Denver, Colorado. The second is someone I am excited to introduce you to as she is our newest therapist on the team. Her name is Katie Cass and on top of being just an awesome human being, she's a neurofeedback specialist and will also be working with individual and relational clients at I'm Clinic. I am so excited to share this opportunity with you because as you will learn, neurofeedback training is pretty amazing, serving as a gateway to life-changing outcomes. I hope you enjoy, and let's take a listen. Um, so Isaac, do you want to start with just sharing a little bit about your personal experience with yeah, absolutely. and why you believe in it? Yeah, for sure. You know, I have always had anxiety um, in my history. It's it's been something that was kind of a plague throughout my life. Mm-hmm. When I was a little a little boy, we were driving from uh, Colorado to California, and in my big Hispanic family, there was like twelve cars caravanning out. Wow. All my cousins and family it was so fun. <laughs> that is um, cool image. But we're in the car, right? And my mom's driving, and it was God. It had to have been 1988 when I was five years old. Mm. And so we were sitting in the back of our Subaru with no seatbelts on, like the the chairs were laying down we had a little bed and we were Mm -hmm. all playing and my mom fell asleep and um, on the highway and she swerved and hit the guardrail (gasps) on the highway um, in the mountains of Colorado. So she immediately wakes up and slams on the brakes just in time um, because the guardrail had ended and we would have fallen down this massive cliff. And all of my family, they get out of their cars and they all run to our car screaming, Debbie, Debbie, are you okay? You almost killed yourself. Like, and it was this huge dramatic scene. Mm. So this, that's over the summer of 1988. In the fall of 1988, I start kindergarten. Mm. And every morning I have petrifying anxiety mm. that my mom will die in a car accident and never come back for me. Mm. And so every morning 
I was nauseous. I was full of anxiety. Um, I was bawling my eyes out. And every morning I said goodbye to my mom for the last time because Mm -hmm. I was certain that she was going to die and never come back for me. So that was a very traumatic experience for me. And what we know of trauma in the brain is that trauma can actually shift the way that the brain functions. Mm -hmm. I was really kind of fascinated to learn that the brain uses hormones as a way of functioning, but it also uses electricity. Mm -hmm. And so with trauma, what it can do is it, it not only shifts the kind of hormones we produce and how they're, um, at at what levels they're produced, but it also shifts the electricity Mm. and the amplitudes of the electricity in different regions of the brain. And so um, I, we know now with a lot of research that those kind of traumatic events will shift the amplitude of electricity in the brain. Mm. And it will actually ask different parts of the brain to shut down so that the trauma is sequestered from affecting the rest of the body for the rest of its life. Wow. So from there on, um, I had a generalized anxiety disorder. I woke up every morning all the way up until fifth grade um, with anxiety. My daily regimen would be to wake up, feel nauseous, throw up. My mom would give me Mm Alka-Seltzer and I would walk to school crying (laughs) every day. Um, It was very, it was very horrifying. Um, When I went to sixth grade, I didn't really experience much anxiety, although I had a lot of bullying. I didn't experience anxiety until my first breakup when I was a senior in high school and then my anxiety came flooding back and that was more Mm. of an attachment kind Mm -hmm. of trauma. And um, I had anxiety off and on, especially because drinking in college um, was a very big part of my story. And what we know of alcohol Mm. is the body has to go into fight, flight or freeze when we drink. because we need an elevated heart rate so that the body can push the alcohol faster through the liver and kidneys. Mm -hmm. But with that increased heart rate, we also get the entire fight, flight, or freeze response, which means a lot of us can experience anxiety um, as we're metabolizing the alcohol through our system. So with a lot of drinking, I was also experiencing a lot of anxiety. Mm. I was coming out to uh, the world and that was horrifying. All this to say, the worst experience of anxiety I've ever had is when I was running um, I Am Clinic in a very large nonprofit at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I took over this nonprofit about six months before we had a national major conference. Mm-hmm. And in this conference, we had about 40 workshops, five keynote speakers, five luncheons, a volunteer day, a concert, um, an event expo. I mean, we had everything going on and taking over this country, trying to shift the finances, plan Mm. for the conference, assess the the needs of the employees, everybody was working remote. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was just a ton of pressure. I was writing um, kind of little blogs for 40,000 people worldwide. Mm. And during that six months, I was on an ambulance three times. Um, I was going through another breakup at the time. One of my favorite people had died very suddenly Mm. and I had no resources for anxiety, Mm. even as a therapist. So I would, um, I was on Lexapro Mm -hmm. 
Um, so that was the first thing I did. I started working with a somatic experiencing therapist who was incredibly helpful, but out of desperation, I Googled help for anxiety and neurofeedback came up mm. and I had heard about neurofeedback just kind of being in the field and um, it was incredible. So I went to a doctor who did neurofeedback and it was a very simple um, process way more simple than I thought. So the first appointment was me sitting in a chair, mm. um, staring at the wall for six minutes with my eyes open, then mm. sitting in the chair with my eyes closed for six minutes. And this was how um, they collected a 12 minute EEG of the brain. Mm. So an EEG is, uh, it's what uh, pregnant mothers have when they're in labor. Mm. It's the, the ways that they can um, track the muscle contraction. So it's like this long, thin paper that pins, prints out kind of a vibrating line that almost looks like a heartbeat. Mm. So he was taking an EEG of the brain mm -hmm. <clears throat> in several different areas just to see what the activity looked like. And at the end of the brain scan, he said, what do you do for a living? And I said, I'm a psychotherapist. I have a master's degree. And he said, Isaac, I have no idea how you're functioning in the world. Mm. And he said, out of 73 regions in the prefrontal cortex where rational thinking, task execution, focus, attention, where all of those things live, out of 73 spots, only six are functioning. Mm. And he said, I have no idea how you have a master's degree, let alone graduated from high school. Wow. And he said, uh, the trauma centers on your brain are firing like they are on fire. Um, mm. And so he said, what we're going to do is train the amygdala to turn off. So we're going to turn off fight, flight, or freeze. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to train your brain to turn on the rational centers. And what he was describing is very common. Anytime we go into fight, flight, or freeze. Mm -hmm. So when our trauma centers are active, our amygdalas are firing, the body will naturally shut down every other function in the body. Mm -hmm. Rational thinking turns off, rational language turns off gut production stops, saliva in the mouth stops, mm -hmm. among a whole cascade of other things. So my brain was essentially stuck in trauma mode. And it had been stuck so long that actually my prefrontal cortex literally stopped firing. Mm. Wow. So he created this really easy protocol. Um, I walked in, I got to pick a movie. Mm -hmm. I watched uh, the Titanic, Starsky and Hutch and a slew <laughs> of other movies. <laughs> Uh, during the course of my training, but basically I would walk in, they would put these sensors, my prefrontal cortex are kind of in the temporal lobe where the trauma centers live, and I would watch a movie. Mm. Um, and so basically when the brain fires the way that the software wants it to, the, the movie screen becomes large and the audio becomes very crisp and intact. And when the brain fires in the way that it normally had been in, in trauma mode, the video screen shrinks, the audio fades out, and sometimes the screen looks like static. Mm. So it's a way of rewarding or discouraging the brain into new patterns. Mm. And I did about 30 sessions and <clears throat> uh, neurofeedback uh, literally changed my life. If I have mm. any anxiety now, it's like a 0.5 out of 10 and I can easily control it. Um, so neurofeedback has been am amazingly incredible for me. Yeah. Wow. That is powerful. Yeah. Yes. I remember sometimes after neurofeedback training sessions, um, cause it's two, 
training sessions a week and I did it for about two and a half months. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd, I'd leave the neurofeedback training session and come to a staff meeting and, and they would all be kind of amazed, like, did you have neurofeedback this morning? <laughs> and I'd say yes. And they're like, you are super on point, super focused. Like we can feel the momentum of this thing working in your life. Um, and so it's, uh, yeah, it's quite an amazing, amazing process. Yeah, that's right. It sounds like it was the ladder that really like got you out of, you know, a hole that you didn't dig, but was dig dug out for you, you know, from mm-hmm. a lot of life experiences and even just living in a world that's dangerous and full of, you know, absolutely things, right. And having yeah. relationship traumas and, um, you know, dealing with trying to cope with being a highly, you know, feeling oriented human, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, to be able to be given that bridge, I would imagine was like, you know, the parting of the clouds, the light shining through, oh like gosh. that kind of idea. For right? sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and a huge turning yeah. point too. Absolutely. Yeah. A couple of things there. I feel like this is, this part fascinates me. So just like skin color, hair, texture, eye color, the amplitude in the brain is a genetic disposition. So if your grandmother, your aunt had bipolar, anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, sugar cravings, migraines, panic attacks, um, Mm -hmm. I mean, seizure disorders, that amplitude can be passed down genetically. But with neurofeedback, we can train something that's genetically predisposed to fire to function differently, which is as far as I know, the one thing that we can change about our genetic disposition, which I just think is very fascinating. So not only in addition to the trauma and that hole that was dug out for me, I had a genetic disposition for high amplitude in my trauma centers and really low amplitude in my rational centers because there's a major history of anxiety in my family. And so it's, it has been a major turning point for me to experience, I, just to put it plainly, a life without anxiety, a life where, mm-hmm. you know, my, my mom can hop in the car to drive four hours away from my house where she lives and I don't worry about her dying anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, or my partner could hop on his scooter and ride to work and I don't worry about him dying. Mm-hmm. Um he can spend the night with his friends and I'm not sitting at home riddling in panic or, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, there's all of these incredible ways that I have, I've seriously been liberated from, from anxiety. And that's just anxiety, right? I mean, here at the clinic, we're treating autism and seizure disorders. We're seeing people's addictions change. Um, migraines go away. People with rheumatoid arthritis experience, some relief sometimes very significant relief from the pain so we can Mm. we can really train the body and the brain to be a lot more resilient which Mm. uh, I'm just so grateful that we have this kind of technology yeah so hopeful I am curious that um I hear a lot from clients who are contemplating working on things like their um anxiety and depression, mm-hmm. um, specifically, um, and you know, 
going on medication and trying to kind of treat that there's a fear sometimes that like they won't be who they are right Mm -hmm. like um that somehow if they treat the anxiety they're bypassing something very authentic to who they are if they do treat the depression or if they treat um you know the things that are sort of um holding holding them back or holding them down there's almost a fear of parting with that Mm-hmm. What was your experience in terms of, you know, um, self and letting go of and kind of parting with the, you know, anxiety that you had to navigate? How did you feel like that mm-hmm. influenced your personality or the way that you function in the world? And maybe what would you say to anybody who's kind of worried about that facet of treatment? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I found Lexapro to be really helpful. Um, I could feel when my anxiety was increasing and if I was on Lexapro, I could feel the Lexapro kind of mitigating that. I would say for me personally, if I had more than two glasses of wine or two drinks while on Lexapro, it actually made my anxiety worse. Mm. It would send me into this weird tailspin where I would become very emotionally volatile or even... Um, suicidal at times Mm. and so when I was on Lexapro I couldn't drink Um, so I I do think that there is a a point and a purpose and a place and a time for medications I think it's incredibly helpful I will though say that neurofeedback obviously medicines will medicate our symptoms neurofeedback will completely treat our symptoms Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When I went for my first brain scan, um, I asked the doctor, is this going to change my personality? Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and he said, well, we're going to definitely calm down your trauma centers and beef up kind of the way that you approach the world. You're going to be more task oriented, more focused. But what I have found is that neurofeedback didn't necessarily change my personality it was quite the opposite. It allowed my personality to be more fully present Mm. because when I wasn't in fight, flight or freeze mode and I was completely calm, my personality, all of the energy in my body wasn't just trying to survive, but now all of my energy was devoted to being genuine without that fight, flight or freeze machine going saying, am I alive? Am I okay? Will I survive? Will I be okay? Will I survive? Am I all right? My body was saying, how do I get to show up right now? I was a Mm. lot more conscious of how I was showing up in the world. Mm -hmm. And so neurofeedback doesn't necessarily get rid of parts of who we are, but it does allow who we are to finally shine. Mm -hmm. It's like removing a veil, Mm. um, which is really, really helpful. You know, someone who's suffering from a seizure disorder to see all of the seizure symptoms and to, to have that finally fully treated they get the ability to walk around being completely uh, comfortable or confident that mm. they can just rest and now be carefree, mm-hmm. spontaneous with their personality as opposed to monitoring stress and symptoms and things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like putting Technicolor into the world. Um, exactly. Totally. It's exactly. The same right. picture, but a little more vividly with a little more life to it, a little more hopefulness. Um, being able to see it from different vantage points too. Um, 
And I think that is always the mystery, right, of personality and understanding that our personality does um, have a gradient of functionality. And mm-hmm. I think what you're sharing is, you know, a lot of what I talk to clients about too, which is it's kind of like if you have a radio signal or something, it's trying to figure out how do you like tune things in order to receive the best signal. And that's not condemning, you know, emotions that are difficult or condemning thoughts that are hard sometimes because that's part of being human. But it is that piece of um, doing the work that allows for that kind of antenna to pick up or uh, transmit uh, the right Mm -hmm. message, right? So that you can feel more connected to others. You can feel more connected to yourself. You can feel more connected to life and the world. Um, And I think, you know, it's pretty amazing to think that there's something non-invasive pretty passive, right? You're not having to delve into tons of past memories or, or do anything like that. Um, that mm-hmm. can actually like help you to fine tune that frequency and experience life in a more integrated way. Right, exactly. Yeah, I think this is really profound because the hormones are the messengers that communicate different messages from one region of the brain to the other. <clears throat> but the elect amplitude is in charge of pushing those messengers Mm. so if we have a high amplitude and it's pushing serotonin around Mm. we can have a lot of anxiety but if we have low amplitude pushing those that serotonin around we can or dopamine around we can actually have depression Mm. and so the amplitude of the brain is really in charge of a, a, a lot of things so what happens when we take medicine If we take a serotonin reuptake inhibitor and we have anxiety, what will happen is this little molecule of medicine blocks the serotonin from being pushed as quickly. So basically what we're doing is the brain is kind of like a massive highway that is every car is allowed to go 105 miles an hour. Mm. And it's just this massively anxious zone. What a serotonin reuptake inhibitor will do is block some of those cars, even though they're still all allowed to go 105 miles an hour. Mm. So we're basically just putting blockades up in a system that isn't actually being trained to function differently. It's just being prohibited. What neurofeedback does, though, is it literally trains all of those drivers to go the speed limit and to be a calm, smooth road that's functioning properly. Mm-hmm. The thing that I love about neurofeedback is that it's... Um, by and large, it's permanent. So you do the 20 sessions Mm. and the brain is retrained to fire for the rest of its life in a very healthy, resilient and functional way. Mm. One example that we're seeing here at the clinic is, um, and this is kind of backed up with some data coming out of Arizona, but in the cingulate gyrus, which is part of the temporal lobe where we see a lot of um, trauma and anxiety, almost every queer person that comes in through the door has obsessive mm-hmm. thinking because their cingulate gyrus is activated. Yeah. So some of the theories is that we have, and I, this definitely resonates with me. We have the obsessive thinking because it's, am I safe? Will mm-hmm. I be rejected? Who will accept me? Who will love me? Who will want me? Where will I belong? Mm-hmm. And that kind of hypervigilance when we stay there long enough, again, what we know with trauma is it's going to permanently alter the brain the brain mm-hmm. is basically saying i need to fire differently so that i can constantly track my survival my belonging mm-hmm. my acceptance mm-hmm. and so it's it's really helpful 
to retrain that cingulate gyrus, that part in the temporal lobe of the brain to really function differently, um, to, to calm down that highway. And so uh, I just, I love neurofeedback because it gives us the, the real profound ability to reverse the effects of trauma, even if it's, you know, a very scary example, like your mom almost dying in a car accident, mm-hmm. all the way to attachment fractures that left us feeling abandoned or isolated, mm-hmm. um, all the way to seizure disorders and autism. Right. Um, but we could really train the brain to almost kind of find new default settings, Amazing. which I think is just so fun. It sounds incredibly redemptive, really, too. Right. Mm-hmm. There's that piece yeah. of recognizing and I think even, you know, um, you know, being a queer person in a world, you know, that is growing in its acceptance, but still has a long way to go. Um, it's, it's a tough thing, right? It's kind of, how do I come out and then how do I be myself? But in some ways, even what you just shared is neurofeedback is one of the mechanisms that can also help you to sort of redeem what it is that your brain has had to do to protect you. Um, before it felt safe enough to be, you know, seen, to be vivid, um, you know, to be fully immersed into the world as your whole self, right? Um, And so just almost kind of makes me think of like, wow, it's like really like peeling off um, that additional layer that, you know, the brain actually needs help to do um, Mm -hmm. because it's been exercising so long, um, you know, in terms of trying to yeah have a vigilant mindset around where am I going to belong but then also how do I people please how do I navigate how do I hide myself in order to right benefit the comfort of other people so it can kind of almost become so familiar it's hard to imagine a life without it but it's kind of cool to think that it is possible what do you what would you say because I think you know some of the people listening now um, we have people obviously Uh, locally in Denver and in Colorado. I know we have national and even international listeners. Um, What would you say to them in terms of, you know, what they could expect, how they would get started? Is there even a possibility, you know, if they live in a more kind of remote area to gain access to this technology? um, What is it that you'd want them to know, like maybe even on an emotional level, but then also on a like practical level? Yeah, you know, I think I would start with, I mean, there's tons of resources, YouTube, um, several clinics across the country, but to call and really ask a lot of questions of, of course, people can always call IM Clinic and have a a consultation. Um, I think neurofeedback, here's, here's maybe an example of what I'm trying to articulate. When I first started doing neurofeedback, one of the questions was, do you have sugar cravings? And I was like, yeah, right, like sugar cravings is an amplitude problem in my brain, (laughs) but it was. (laughs) And so something so minor as a sugar craving could be controlled. And Mm. so if someone has insomnia or they can't get to sleep, or like I said, migraines, or um, oftentimes for women, if their PMS symptoms are very, very strong and very debilitating, Mm. we can help the center of the brain that processes pain be more resilient so the pain isn't so intolerable. So, again, because the brain controls everything in the body, mm-hmm. neurofeedback gives us this incredible body, this ability to shift everything in the body, which I think is so cool. 
So there's resources out there. Of course, people can call the clinic and ask um, if the symptoms that they're experiencing can be treated by neurofeedback, and we mm -hmm. would love to educate everybody on that. Um, pragmatically speaking, it's a again, it's a drugless, non-invasive process. The worst part about neurofeedback is that we put paste in your hair um, <laughs> to get our little sensors to stick, but it's um, generally speaking, it's about two training sessions a week um, for about 10 weeks. So you're getting about um, 20 sessions. Sometimes we need a little more, sometimes we need a little less, depending on what we find in your brain scan. Mm -hmm. And then once the symptoms are going away, um, we take one more brain scan just to make sure that we zapped everything and uh, we send you on your way. But literally you show up in the clinic, um, we spend about 10 minutes putting the appropriate sensors in the right sides of the brain. And then we literally hit play on a movie and you sit there and laugh and enjoy. Um, it's really quite simple. Um, it's, it's really out of your control. Mm. Um, so all you have to do is just watch and let the computer software do what we need. Um, one thing that I think is really profound is we can get really specific. So we're not only treating symptoms that live on the scalp of the brain, but we can penetrate to the most deepest regions of the brain and target something in a five millimeter mm. diameter. So we can get very, very specific to not only diagnose what's going on in the brain, but we have the power to reach deep into the brain into a very small place mm -hmm. to train something very specific. Um, and all you're doing is watching your favorite movie. It's, mm -hmm. it's really quite profound. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is amazing, right? Sometimes the most powerful interventions are the ones that require us to receive and let go of control as opposed to mm -hmm. trying to you know uh, take over or be yeah. in 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 the driver's seat the whole time mm -hmm. um there's something there's something amazing about that and mm -hmm. i do think too that um what we've learned um, recently right is that there's the potential to lease the equipment so if you're in a remote location yeah. or if you're somewhere where neurofeedback isn't accessible or if you want specifically to work with somebody who has queer identity um, or you know sensitivity around that there is the possibility to actually uh, access this technology remotely is that right mm -hmm. yeah for sure yeah so basically um, there's a headset that has been recently fda approved so we're fully safe to ship these, um, they almost look like virtual reality head caps. Mm. Um, it's really quite, quite cool, but we drop one in the mail, we send it to you, and then we schedule you um, for, a, for a session. So if you're in the middle of Kansas and no neurofeedback providers are around, we send you a cap, we meet with you on telehealth, um, we connect to your device and we run the protocol from wherever you are in the world. Mm which is really, really exciting because we can help a lot of people, um, especially our goal here at IM Clinic, obviously, which I'm so in love with, but helping queer people just live mm -hmm. healthy, full lives, mm -hmm. um, literally from the brain down. So we're, we're, uh, we're really excited to be able to offer that to mm -hmm. people Absolutely. all across the country. Oh, it's so amazing. And we're so excited about it all. And I want to thank you for, um, you know, creating this space, creating this, you know, platform for 
um, the redemptive quality of using your own life experiences to not only heal and be more fully yourself in the world, which is absolutely what the world needs, but then to say, I want to bring people with me. I want to like utilize my suffering, not just for my own healing, but for the benefit of others too. Mm -hmm. Um, and in a lot of ways, I just think about, wow, like every day that you walked to school crying and, you know, that poor little Isaac, right. Can kind of Mm -hmm. look now and be like, wow, like all of that pain was worth it for all of the people. Oh, for sure. I've been touched by so many different, you know, methods and modalities that I am clinic and, um, And certainly, you know, being a part of the team, I'm really passionate about the work that we do. And I think it's just really important to, to, you know, have the access, right? The hope, Mm -hmm. I should say, that that is offered, right? At IM Clinic and then especially through neurofeedback, um, because a lot of times we just don't know if there's another way. And Mm -hmm. it's really, really amazing to have somebody brave enough who says, yeah, I used to think that too. And I used to feel that way. And I used to suffer and I used to struggle. And then I saw the other side and the other side is possible and it's better. And, you know, come on board. Yeah. Thank you. I'm, it's a very big compliment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. You know, I do think that, um, I say it often in the clinic because as a therapist, I'm really personal. And obviously I, I really believe in the power of vulnerability, but I think that as queer people, we can live such emotionally isolated lives where it feels like no one else in the world feels the way that we do. Mm. And to believe in the power of vulnerability to say me too, I've been mm-hmm. there. I know what that feels like. And I know the exit route out of there. It's almost like saying, you know, I've discovered this treasure chest and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, uh, it changed my life and you're free to dip into it mm-hmm. and experience your own um, because you're going to find your own treasure chest too. And then yeah. you can start sharing that with other queer people or just your loved ones. Uh-huh. Um, but I do think we need each other. And so, you know, to build a, a career, out of my pain and then to see that journey transforming the lives of other people it is honestly one of the biggest honors of my life to be able to Mm -hmm. to help in this way yeah Mm. well it matters and it shows and um just continue to look forward we are really excited for looking always to ways to create um spaces for people to find those treasure chests and Mm -hmm. to kind of hold that gap of hope knowing that it actually is completely possible um Mm -hmm. to you know live the life that in your core you know that you want right to live yeah for sure Mm -hmm. thank you For sure. Thank you. (laughs) Hey there. As many of you know, I am Clinic and my life's work is devoted to the LGBTQIA plus community. It is my sincere goal to create resources that improve the mental health of all of us in the community so that we can literally create the love lives and relationships we crave, not only with a romantic partner, 
and our loved ones, our friends, our community, but more importantly, with ourself. Part of doing that is expanding our reach. As therapists, we are bound to work within the state that gives us our license. And we want to be able to reach further and farther to help y'all across the country. Right now, we're getting calls in from every state, even foreign countries, and we're so bound by the state licensure that we decided to expand. So we've created I Am Council, which is a team of life coaches who can work with people all across the country. We are so excited to be able to extend these offerings. Right now, the websites are being built, but we have a team of life coaches who are ready to help you. If you're interested, give us a call at the main office. That phone number is 720-551-8382. Again, 720-551-8382. Although the websites are still being built, you can always head over to iamclinic.org, fill out the contact form. If you're in the state of Colorado, you can work with us here at I Am Clinic. If you're out of Colorado, you can work with us through I Am Council. All right. Let's get back to the show. So I'm really excited to get a chance to introduce you all to Katie Cash. She is going to be our newest um, clinical therapist at IM Clinic and is just um, so intelligent and so um, wonderful. And we're just so thrilled to have her as part of the community. And um, really excited to hear her take on neurofeedback um, and her experiences with working with clients and that and passion behind that and everything else, just so that y'all get a sense of what that's like. So, Katie, I will turn the floor to you to introduce yourself a little bit and um, why you became a therapist and why neurofeedback, yeah. that kind of thing. Absolutely. So, um... My background, my undergraduate was in anthropology with a human rights emphasis. So that's where my passion to serving others started. Um, I initially wanted to actually be a human rights attorney, um, mm. but after getting into the field and doing some field work, I decided that that wasn't the trajectory that I wanted to go, especially mm. with the um, anthropological lens, which is a bit more of an observer and advocate, but it just wasn't a good fit. Mm. Um, I then moved um, to Northern Arizona, where I started working in community mental health mm. and fell in love with mental health work. Mm. Um, I worked with a large um, trauma population, a large indigenous population, um, and that work was so eye-opening and fulfilling. Um, and I decided to continue and get my master's in clinical mental health counseling. Um, in the process of working with a large trauma base and also working with people from um, who, who didn't necessarily traditional Western approaches to mental health weren't mm making enough progress, if you will, like in terms of alleviating symptoms of distress. Um, so when I moved to Colorado, I started exploring other types of modalities. Mm -hmm. And that's when I landed with neurofeedback, mm -hmm. which was a nice bridge between the human 
interaction and human connection, and then added on a biological component. Um, part of what I saw a lot in community mental health was um, a heavy reliance on medication, and that really didn't meet all their needs either. Mm -hmm. um, so neurofeedback was this wonderful bridge to address that there is a, a biological component to the, the experience that people are having, um, and also recognizing that that can be therapeutic. Um, mm -hmm. So that's where I started my neurofeedback um, career. And uh, I worked for a wonderful clinic and just fell in love with the science and mm -hmm. how important it is to, you know, as therapists, we do take a holistic approach, but when we include biofeedback, we really actually get to treat the whole person. Mm -hmm. And that has just launched me into being such a nerd when it comes to mm -hmm. the bottom up and top down approach mm -hmm. to client care. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Can you explain a little bit more about why this particular modality, like, you know, gets your, your nerd self going and yeah. what kind of transformative effects you might've been able to see from it? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the first is starting with a good clinical interview and capturing the language and experience of the person in front of you. And then doing an EEG, which mm. is electroencephalography. Mm. And um, that is looking at the electricity across the brain. Mm. And what we get to do is then um, create that into a visual aid. And then through the process of like a brain map review or QEEG review, we get to connect people's physical and emotional experience to what's happening inside of their brain on an electrical level. Mm. With that data, we then get to create um, the neurofeedback training protocols mm -hmm. that then target areas of over and under activity that mm -hmm. are most related to the areas of distress. Mm. And so through opera and classical conditioning in a very passive and gentle way, we're able to recondition the brain, either, uh, um, either downregulate the nervous system or re-engage the nervous system um, to create better emotional balance. Mm. And from there, the top-down work of traditional psychotherapy is so much more impactful. The ability to utilize skills when we have more control over our nervous system and some better electrical balance, um, you know, just seeing those pieces together. Uh, I think also one of the things that's been so, for me, so enriching is like, we've worked really hard to destigmatize um, mental health, but also in that we get, I get to educate people on the brain body connection and also validate so much people's experience. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people feel like they're just crazy. You know, they're just, mm -hmm. it's all in their head. And it's like, truly it is, it's still in your brain, <laughs> but like we can observe it and we can monitor it and we can quantify it. Mm -hmm. And that is so validating mm -hmm. that people's experience, the stress, the difficulty, the amount of work that they're having to do to overcome these obstacles. Mm -hmm. I mean, to have someone validate that is so powerful. Mm -hmm. um, and so that in and of itself was probably one of the things that, um, mm -hmm. you know, I can validate and empathize and be compassionate, but when I can show people mm -hmm. that their brain is really struggling, um, and that their experience is real, oh, it's, it's just magical. Yeah, it is magical. It truly is. Um, when you're kind of talking about, uh, you know, helping the brain 
to kind of downregulate or uh, or actually re-engage? Would you say that if somebody's brain is a little bit more hyper-regulated, they'd be experiencing things like anxiety? If it's downregulated, would it be more like depression or ADHD? Or is there not really a connection there? It could be any of those things. Um, there is. When people are hyper aroused, you have the panic disorder, you have anxiety, mm -hmm. um, insomnia, rumination, um, that hyperactivity. When people are hypo aroused, you have more of the disassociative kind of features. Mm -hmm. um, there also can be sleep disorders as well. There still can be anxiety, but it kind of just manifests a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, when people have completely shut down, and uh, are in a high, an under aroused state, mm -hmm. think, like depressive symptoms, um, because there's low energy, lack of motivation, difficulty mm -hmm. initiating um, mm -hmm. tasks as well, which can then be a vicious cycle for depression. Yeah, absolutely. And you could even have different regions of your brain doing both things, right? What Like parts that are down regulating and other parts that are up regulating. So you experience both the anxiety and the depression. Yeah, absolutely. There's, it's very common for people to have a hyper aroused limbic system and then have the disassociative features of having excessive slowing in the prefrontal cortex. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. Yeah. It's like their foot is on the gas and the brake at the same time. Right, right, right. And so that's where I think it can be really, really helpful because the medication is super beneficial for people who need it and should be utilized if needed. It's also really helpful to have this as an option because sometimes the medication may not target like one or the other or may not create lasting effects or it may not be a neurotransmitter problem, right? It could be more of the electrical piece um, of the brain and so therefore neurofeedback is gonna be the better way to go too if you haven't yeah. really achieved a lot of results using medication, right? Absolutely. And what's really amazing is that there's a growing field and there's um, people in the field right now who are making medication recommendations based off of the EEG and QEEG. Um, so that's also a really nice utilization of, of the science as well versus going and um, having someone make a recommendation just based on um, verbal, uh, well, subjective scales. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, it does, it's, it can cue people into who might be medication resistant and that might be a client that would be great uh, are a great case for something like ketamine um, or a great uh -huh. candidate for like a traditional SSRI. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. I mean, I think it's really hopeful. I'm curious kind of more um, from your personal experience. Do you have some favorite stories, things that pop into your brain around like clients that you've worked with where you've just seen dramatic results? I'm sure a lot, but yeah, what kind of pops to the front of your mind? Who are those people? <laughs> um, yeah. So many. So I think one of the most recent cases is, is a woman, she's in her uh, late forties and she has struggled with developmental trauma. Mm. And so this, this particular woman struggled um, with somatic symptomology mm. uh, and in a pretty um, profound panic disorder that was really inhibiting her ability to like live the life she wanted to live and that she knew she was mm -hmm. capable of. Mm -hmm. She had done you know, traditional talk therapy, medication, somatic experiencing, EMDR. She'd mm -hmm. gone to all types of traditional medical model um, for her somatic pain mm -hmm. and was not, she had made, she recognized that she'd made a lot of growth, but there still was this kind of instrument, this impasse, this wall mm -hmm. um, of being hyper aroused and not being able to really downregulate. And so um, we did 
uh, neurofeedback, specifically the Ophthalmer, the info low frequency okay. system that we have at um, IM Clinic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it took a little while. It took probably 10, 15 sessions. There was a little bit back and forth. Sometimes it, it was not just immediate, like mm-hmm. immediate relief, but there was this recognition on her part that things were shifting. And the fact that things were shifting in and of itself for her was very promising and very exciting. Mm-hmm. And so again, every time she came in, there was this improvement in terms of like feeling like she was getting more access to information. Mm-hmm. And with more access to information, she was then able to use her coping skills better. And then that shifted to actually not being as hyper aroused. And so the things that used to trigger her weren't triggering her as frequently with less intensity and better recovery. And from that, she was better able to follow through on projects. She had better energy. Her relationships with her kids and husband, um, you know, again, were transformed and they were able to have tackle deeper conversations and and bigger um, challenges in the relationship because she wasn't getting flooded. Mm. And so that's a big piece is like when you're trying to have difficult conversations with people, if you're emotionally flooded, the ability to engage in a logical dialogue and mm-hmm. create compromises is much, much harder. Mm-hmm. So with improved emotional regulation and physiological regu- regulation, mm-hmm. you know, the, her opportunities, and now she's got this, I mean, I wish I could link everyone to her amazing art that she's doing. Oh, cool. <laughs> that might be a HIPAA violation at this point, but maybe we'll get, um, <laughs> get some, um, <laughs> But she was able to launch this this big project, this business, oh, cool. business. and um, so you know she was someone who took about um, she was really great. I mean, about forty five sessions total, and not a lot, and and did did beautifully. Um, oh. I think one other good case is you know young young kiddo, about mm-hmm. six years old on the autism spectrum, mm-hmm. violent and hyper aroused again. Mm-hmm. And about after a 20 session, there's no violence in the house. Wow. Um, we're having some outbursts, but with just like increasing like regulation, it's not getting explosive. And so mm-hmm. again, the family dynamic changes when mm-hmm. when they're not afraid of their six-year-old. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody's able to kind of have heal. more bandwidth and heal and support one another and yeah you know he's probably getting even more like of what he actually needs right um as opposed Mm -hmm. to everybody just trying to cope around those symptoms that's a huge deal that's that's for family systems in general right Mm -hmm. um is is trying to move past coping just around the symptoms and being able to actually move into a different state of of being able to function together so that's a pretty amazing way to do it yeah um so we have two different kind of methods, I think, that are available. Uh, I am clinic one is the author method. The other is QEEG. Um, what are the differences? <laughs> yeah, yeah. People know so, more what they're getting into. Mm-hmm. So we have a massive electrical spectrum, and it goes in, um, from very, very, very slow oscillations to very, very fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, so the brainwave spectrum that we work with basically goes from um, basically nothing all the way up to about um, 40 hertz. And then it, the brainwave spectrum continues above that, but it gets kind of squirrely into some very theoretical space. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the Othmer, it's infra low. 
And so it works on the slowest edge of the brainwave spectrum. Mm. Um, that actually targets some different cellular structures in the brain. We have um, mm. different types of cells um, and that have, they have different functions and they oscillate kind of at different frequencies. Mm. So the infralow works at one end of the spectrum. And I think it does such an amazing job when people are hyper aroused. Mm. Um, and does really great work with developmental trauma and complex PTSD. Mm -hmm. And then we have um, kind of the, the, the system that works on the rest of the, the brainwave uh, spectrum, that kind of, if you will, three to, to 40. Um, they're both surface channel EEG, so they're just working on the surface. Um, and that is, I mean, really has the capacity to do a lot of different type of trainings, but um, hmm. I, I like to use it for, especially when people are kind of a little bit more under aroused. Okay. Um, but it, again, that, that side of the brainwave spectrum. So kind of cool. It, it works. It does similar, very, very similar things. It just specializes in working on two different parts of the brainwave spectrum. Very cool. Nice. Yeah. Amazing to have the options, I guess, avail available, right? Yeah. Um, is there anyone that like wouldn't be a good candidate for neurofeedback? That's a great, great question. So if people have an underlying like metabolic or medical issue that's superseding the electricity in their brain. So someone who has an untreated hormone issue or someone who's mm. an untreated thyroid issue, um, systemic inflammation, right? So let's say someone has an undiagnosed food allergy. Mm -hmm. And so someone who's like celiac, for example. So people who have untreated medical issues okay. aren't going to get the same level of benefit as someone who already has those system concerns okay. addressed. So it's not that there's not people who aren't good candidates, it's just timelines. So okay. definitely recommend folks to see their primary care providers or um, mm -hmm. see the holistic provider to make sure that everything else physiologically is looking good. Mm -hmm. um, what's also nice with the, the QEEG is that sometimes we can see inflammation in the brain. Mm -hmm. And I, I, will, I will refer people out like, we see a pattern and we think that there might be an underlying metabolic issue. And so mm -hmm. we can head that off. Mm -hmm. Other than that, I mean, we work with people, I've worked with, you know, kiddos as young as five and adults like up into their seventies. So mm. cool. it is a time commitment. And mm. so that would be like an important piece is, is the flexibility and the commitment to a, a neuro training schedule. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So before we hop into the schedule, just to recap on that, if somebody has treated some of those issues and they would still probably be a good candidate, but the reason if they hadn't treated them before is because it could kind of be essentially like sabotaging the work because thyroid's yeah. off or, you know, there's some other metabolic or hormonal issue or something going on that is kind of counterintuitive to that training is that, or kind of contradicting that training is probably the way I would yeah, say. Yeah. You're just, it's not gonna, um, the brain will be lack of kind of nutrients. And it's kind of, again, like trying to cram or trying to train, like going to the gym on an empty stomach. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure there's people that do that very deliberately with fasting cardio, but, um, um, but what I mean is <laughs> you need the brain to have like its full energy resources maximized for 
um, learning theory to be the most efficient. So mm -hmm. yeah, it would that be makes a lot of sense. Kind of order of operations. Make sure the physiology is, is is in good shape, and then just to get the max out the benefits of this modality. Okay, awesome. Yeah, and then um, I think I think time commitment and cost commitment are important to talk about, just because it's probably something people should be aware of. But um, what is a typical kind of time commitment like for a neurofeedback training schedule? Yeah, so I like to set the bar kind of high mm -hmm. <laughs> versus, um, you know, under undershooting. So yeah. recommended two times a week. Okay. Um, and again, like how long those sessions are can vary a little bit depending on what's being trained and okay. um, the individual. But, you know, with learning theory, you want to, repetition is important. Um, and I would say, you know, minimum of 20 sessions. Okay. Um, less than that is probably not going to be as like permanent. Mm -hmm. And then honestly, depending on the, the symptomology, depending on like how severe the problem is and how severe the dysregulation is in the brain, you know, mm -hmm. go up to like 80 sessions. Okay. Mm -hmm. I would say again, that cap is for the more complex cases. Mm -hmm. People being around, I would say about 40. Okay. Yeah. That's helpful to know too. Um, and does it ever kind of quote unquote wear off? Sure. I would say that it, the changes are, should be long lasting. Mm -hmm. I think if there's not a lack of permanency, it also is contingent upon like the commitment to, again, utilizing coping skills and mm -hmm. behavioral changes. So um, for example, one of the biggest concerns that people come in with is sleep hygiene. I mean, um, insomnia. Uh -huh. so along with doing neuro, we do a lot of work around sleep hygiene. It's so common for people to fall asleep watching TV or being on their phone like well if that behavior creeps back in mm -hmm. you know, that light stimulation is going to supersede like your brain can still look good but if if we have some of those behaviors creep back in mm -hmm. and not utilize some of the coping mechanisms then yeah you can have like kind of a return to behavior okay yeah um and again like we can't erase trauma we can't mm -hmm. erase family of origins that's right um, yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> We can't, we can't, you know, like in the middle of like last year, like COVID hit. Uh, you know? um, so that. when we have a big behavioral shift, sometimes that that's when those kind of symptoms can creep back in. So, mm -hmm. uh, but in general, those, the effects should, should be long lasting. Um, but mm -hmm. that's why I encourage people to do boosters, right? Like yeah. we go to the dentist every, like, well, we're supposed to go to the dentist two yes. times a year, get blood work. We do a lot of preventative health yeah. and we do a lot of health maintenance, like getting our teeth cleaned. Mm -hmm. We don't always do that for our mental health. You know? <laughs> right. Most people call a therapist when things are, have gotten so bad, they're yeah. desperate. Yeah. You know, and so if we could have like a, a different lens, mm -hmm. which is when I encourage people to come in for like quarterly or uh, biannual yep. maintenance so that you don't have, like you have someone to check in with, help you hold accountable and yep. then to have like kind of a, a, a balancing session, you know, I, that works pretty well for folks. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, kind of having to do a tune up because living life is hard. <laughs> So it would have probably increased your bandwidth of um, tolerance 
I would imagine anyway, so that it doesn't feel like things are just compounding. It kind of expands that fuse as it were. So even yep. when you kind of go, go sort of um, take a break or not doing the full-blown training or, you know, you're in the in-between place, um, you might encounter things, but probably be able to engage with it differently than if it was sort of that tight fuse where it's kind of compounding, right? Yep. Um, so, and then that makes a lot of sense to kind of do a tune-up and it is fascinating when you think about everything the brain controls literally our whole entire lives. Right. <laughs> There's no like tune-up for it. There's not really anything like that. And um, obviously, you know, um, it's just, um, it's amazing that this exists and, you know, that people can even access it. Um, so it is kind of a financial commitment too, right? But I think something to think about from that lens is, I mean, I would imagine from your experience, it's like, I mean, even though it's an upfront investment, it's probably a lot less expensive than like years and years and years and years of therapy to maybe get to the same place, right? Right, yeah, exactly. Like talk therapy, whether even if that's like with a copay, you know, I think about, I mean, frankly, just, you know, in my own story, like mm -hmm. the amount of counselors, psychiatrists, also like chronic conditions for me, like stomach issues, like I've had GI issues my mm -hmm. whole life because of chronic stress and anxiety. And so, right, like I've missed work because of GI issues. Mm -hmm. sure. um, so when I, I think about, you know, I'm in my thirties, like in this, I started having kind of health concerns by the time I was 12, like mm -hmm. the amount of um, investment that's gone into both my mental and physical health, um, I have way superseded the cost of neurofeedback at this mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, in the supplementation and medications, both like prescription and over the counter. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is. It can be a bit of a, a sticker price, um, but when we contextualize it into a lifetime of seeking help, mm -hmm. and not to mention the other ways in which we escape, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Um, and that's a, a big conversation to have with folks: is how do we escape? Um, and that can be a very expensive, both financially and emotionally. Yeah, absolutely. Meaning, like, if you're racking up a really big tab at the bar, or like. <laughs> Right. or like doing some other things that are coping mechanisms like get pretty pricey that's an important thing to realize like oh that actually can be the doom amazon <laughs> you know like, uh, even something just like that <laughs> i need that package here yeah, yeah. right absolutely it's all over it's everywhere um and so is this something that you have done yourself personally and noticed mm -hmm. some transformative effects from? Yeah, absolutely. I started doing, well, it was hard because I did a lot of neurofeedback on myself, which was pretty hilarious. Yeah. Because of course, <laughs> I was just trying all the different things that I could do and gave myself yeah. <laughs> probably not the best approach. And then I was able to work in a clinic with someone else. It was, it was much more beneficial to have someone train me versus <laughs> me captain my own ship. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, the, you know, I can be a bit, um, high strong for sure. Um, and again, the sleep and stomach issues are, are things that I've, I've had issues with ongoing. And so mm. it's even a pretty low key 
neurofeedback training protocol. I am just a mellower person. Mm. Um, so, and sleep way better. Oh, so awesome. It's a big deal. One, it's really helpful too, because the other thing that I, you know, I think is becoming a whole nother conversation point um, is, you know, ADHD and how underdiagnosed that is oddly, right? Because there was this wave where we we're all afraid of it being overdiagnosed and right. because of the use of medication. But I think especially people who um, are currently in their thirties now and female bodies may um, experience the fact that uh, they actually have ADHD or some type of, you know, neurodiversity on that right. level that they learned how to somehow moderate or cope or, or control so that it, it didn't stick out, but it's still affecting their lives and kind of gets worse as they get older. And neurofeedback is really helpful for that too, right? Yes. And all the sub um, versions of ADHD, whether that's because it's from trauma, whether that's because there's too much slowing in the brain, whether that's because someone has too fast of a processing speed, mm -hmm. like there are so many subtypes of ADHD and not all of them do respond well to traditional stimulant medication. But yeah, um, I can definitely feel my, on a personal level, my attention and sustained ability to focus and finish when I'm under high stress, my attention to detail is just like, Mm -hmm. um of course that's not the same as someone who's had chronic anxiety but i mean uh, chronic mm -hmm. adhd but mm -hmm. absolutely yeah the adhd like oscillation of under and over yes <laughs> medicating not medicating yeah absolutely that's a tough one yeah exactly to totally pinpoint with medication and then it's also tough because i know um, even though we're so thankful there are this medication for it and it can make a night and day difference. It's, it's, it's hard on the days you take a break or it's hard on the days that, you know, you forget it <laughs> or something. Yeah. Yeah. Really yeah. yeah. And the, just like, I mean, attention regulation is so, can be so challenging. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Especially in a world where we have lots of things to pay attention to <laughs> and so many more, right. So many things vying for our attention. Um, well, it's really exciting. I mean, I, I think just, again, the idea of the holistic person is such a thing that anchors I am clinic and to be able to have these modalities available for people is just so tremendously hopeful because we want people to be their whole self. We want mm -hmm. our community to thrive and live and be able to, you know, shed those, um, those skins, right, of just living in the world and also the trauma and especially for, um, you know, all of the, the ongoing traumas that exist, right? It's amazing to be able to have something that you can lean on that's not, um, you know, that doesn't require um, a lot of guesswork. I guess um, that's kind of the huge piece about that. And Isaac explained a little bit about what to um, expect, but it might be helpful to hear from your perspective too, just because you have a different vantage point. Like what would people expect coming in to do neurofeedback at IM Clinic? Um, first is to get really messy. <laughs> electrical pace. Uh -huh. um, um, kind of like, st like start timing your hair washing day was with neuro days nice. <laughs> um, and then I would say that the biggest thing for people is like in the first few sessions there's an acclimation period just like if you were to return or go to the gym for the first time like you have sore muscles and fatigue mm -hmm. you're, you're asking your body to do something it hasn't done before same thing with the brain so fatigue irritability mm -hmm. um, you know those are the kind of mild headache whatever your fatigue indicators are mm -hmm. like 
probably are things that would come up. So the okay. two different haters, like being like, what happens when you get hangry? Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, when we integrate, especially for people who are survivors of trauma, whether that's mm-hmm. little teeth, when we start to reintegrate with ourselves, either for mm-hmm. the first time, or maybe this is coming back to our body, Mm-hmm. getting back into the body can be a very intense somatic experience mm-hmm. especially for our trauma survivors there can be somatic trauma responses where people mm-hmm. um you know they they feel their body for the mm-hmm. first time in a long time and that um that looks different for everybody so that's why it's again it's so great that we ha- there's a, a staff of of well-trained clinicians to help process through what's Mm -hmm. going on so there can be some discomfort and reintegration Mm -hmm. that's not like a side effect but that's just part of what healing looks like for a lot of people yep absolutely and you know it's just a matter of kind of out out by going through but it's always faster than trying to continually bypass and go around right the things that we have to do and it's always helpful when we're in that process of discomfort, but for the purpose of actual healing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Any last thoughts that you want to share about neurofeedback or things that you've seen or. Oh goodness. I mean, it's such an amazing subfield like neuroscience and connecting neuroscience to mental health is, is just blowing up. So mm-hmm. um, in terms of like, if people are interested, if, if this is like a good fit, I mean, obviously like the body keeps the score. Mm-hmm. A book to read. Symphony in the brain is a specific neurofeedback text that was written by a journalist that's super user-friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are great resources for people to, to look to um, when looking at mental health through the lens of like how our body encodes our experiences. Um, so those are those, and then of course, like always, like, um, I will talk about this all day, every day. Um, and so, uh, that would, that would be it. Get curious, get curious about, uh, you know, the body and the brain. And I mean, it's a wormhole. And so I hope people dive in it. Yeah, I love that. That's so awesome. It's true, right? There's, you don't know what you don't know. And there's actually always, you know, more, right? There's um, a way in which we can um, optimize, but from a place of, of fullness and healing um, to be our best selves in the world, which is absolutely what the world needs, what you need, what everybody needs, right? What- right, and I love that, like, optimizing, like, we're all, you're whole and wonderful, but there is more transformation that can happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's amazing. It's the coolest part about being alive, right? Yep. <laughs> well, it's no, no surprise as you all are hearing um, Katie speak as to why we were so impressed um, with her and how intelligent she is, but also how empathic she is, the experience that she has. We're just so, 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 so thrilled to have her a part of the team um, to offer all different types of therapy and also um, to really, you know, to be um, alongside Isaac and, and other members of our team who are bringing neurofeedback to our community. So thank you, Katie. Yeah, I'm so excited to be with you guys. Hi again, this is Jamie Leach, and I wanted to thank you for listening to our episode. After hearing all that neurofeedback training has to offer, you can probably see why I'm so excited about it, and why I hope that people will take advantage of all that it can offer. There are options out there that can break the struggle that sometimes feels endless. 
If you're interested in starting neurofeedback training as a step toward building the life you crave, visit us at iamclinic.org. That's iamclinic.org. And fill out an inquiry form or give us a call directly. We are so excited to work with you. It is an honor that you spend your time with us. And until we meet again, I hope you can take a minute to say out loud to yourself today, I am powerful, I am valuable, I am perfectly imperfect, and I matter. Queer Relationships is a podcast sponsored by I Am Clinic, a counseling practice devoted to the LGBTQ plus community with in-person and virtual counseling options available. I Am Clinic, create the love lives and relationships you crave. Find us online on Instagram at LGBTQ underscore therapy and Facebook at I Am Clinic. That's I-A-M Clinic. <laughs>